Welcome to Talking Late Night, where we spotlight top comedians and their late night influences. Here's your host, Max Cantor. Hi, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to Talking Late Night. I'm your host, Max Cantor. This is a show where I like to talk to comedians to learn not only about their late night influences, but also to find out how they got so funny and where they are today. But today, I have a really, really great guest. She is an improviser, she's a director, and she's also written many shows here in Atlanta, but you can currently find her performing almost every week at Dad's Garage Theater, as well as many other theaters in the city. So without further ado, please welcome to the show, Megan Leahy. Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Max. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk to you, but before (laughs) we get started, um, have you ever Googled your own name? Um, I haven't Googled my name, but I do know that there are several Megan Leahy's um, throughout the world. <laughs> yeah, spelled the same. And yeah, when I when I Googled you, and I'm on, I'm on Google right now, so I'm just going to read this out to you. <laughs> First of all, there's a Megan who's a parent coach. Yes. So that's, that's exciting. Um, there's yeah. a Megan <laughs> who writes for the Washington Post. Yes. Also, not me. Um, there's a Megan who got married in Minnesota. <laughs> Oh, well, congratulations to Megan. Also, so, not me. That's exciting. <laughs> but then there there's you also, are. Um, there's, oh, yeah, you see me? Yeah, I see you. <laughs> there's, make- there's one in Australia who, um, for whom I get all of her, her like, job rejection emails for some reason. <laughs> so that's a, that's a real shame. So, I get turned down for a lot of teaching jobs. What, what is that like, though, to have so many people to have your name? Because for me, personally, I don't have that. So... What yeah, like? it's weird. It, you know, it's not something I realized until just a few years ago, how common it is. It's just a very Irish name. Uh, there's there's a, also a Megan Leahy who's a doctor in, I think, Chicago. And I've seen her name in, like, magazines where it's just, like, this little blurb from a doctor, Dr. Megan Leahy. I'm like, that sounds nice, uh, <laughs> but it's not me. But it's all right. You know, most of the time I just I get a lot of wrong emails. And uh, so I've got, I get job rejections from Australia. I get um, flight confirmation from some, another Megan Leahy's uh, parents. Quite, a, I've gotten a few of those. <laughs> and uh, yeah, some other, some other Megans. So it's interesting. I don't know any of them and I've never met any of them. But maybe one day. I can just picture this, this Megan Leahy in Australia just like where, <laughs> you know, sitting down at night just being like, where are my emails going? Like, <laughs> why won't anyone write back to me? <laughs> right, like I applied for this job months ago, and nobody is responding. Yeah. Just, just going it's very crazy. unprofessional. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. What is up with every job that I'm applying for? <laughs> Never getting back to me. Never here. <laughs> well, Megan, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you on the show. Um, and so just to get started, uh, growing up, what late night shows influenced you? Uh, well, I would say. You know, Letterman was one that I remember because my parents were big fans of Letterman. So I remember watching some as a little, little kid, but mostly I think, you know, when he was moved to an earlier slot in the evening. And so I guess probably like early 90s is when I became really aware of late night. So uh, Letterman uh, was one and then Conan was another. And then uh, there was also John Stewart had a show, talk show on MTV for a couple seasons, I think. And that that was a show that I also really loved. So what what drew you to these three shows? What about them? Well, there was something different about each of them. You know, at that time I was, you know, a little theater kid. I really wanted to perform, so I was definitely looking to see their sort of comedy styles. And I think I like what one of the things I really liked about Letterman was, well, a, I love the top 10 list. I mean, it's still just a brilliant, it's always been brilliant. I love it. Um, but he also, I really like the fact that he, you know, didn't take no guff from anyone. So he was, uh, he was, just seemed like a real human when he was talking to celebrities, which was really nice. And he so, wouldn't, he wasn't much of a BS artist. Right, right. I think, I think, and uh, for a lot of people that I've talked to, that's really one thing they loved is that it was a talk show, but at the same time, yeah. It, wasn't a late night talk show right right i mean people you know come on to promote whatever they're doing and you know but he was always really good about making sure that people weren't 
just going through the same motions that they went through for every interview, which I think was really interesting. He wanted something new and something different. He wanted to actually have a conversation. It always it seemed like to me. Yeah, and two, you know, he didn't want to just suck up to people, right? Where it right. wasn't I mean, like. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, I think anybody can make a interesting interview as long as they're sort of open and the person knows how to handle them. And I think he just handled people very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. So you like that about Dave Letterman. What'd you like about Conan? Um, (laughs) um, Conan was more, I really loved the sort of the absurdity. I don't know if, you know, I mean, I sort of remember some interviews, but I think I was usually probably going to sleep (laughs) before he got to the interview portion. Uh, but his, I loved the sketches and the weird characters, and I really loved Andy Richter, uh, and I loved their um, back and forth. I think oh. it was such a, you know, the the biggest sort of um, sidekick thing that I really knew about was Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon, but mostly from Phil Hartman doing Ed McMahon on SNL. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. I just thought that was a, they had a really nice dynamic that was really enjoyable but self-aware. So, but David Letterman didn't. Well, I mean, you could say that Paul Schaefer was he had, his like. He had Paul, yeah. But you like sort of. the dynamic of the you know main guy and then his sidekick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, Paul Schaefer definitely you know uh, does some, does some of that duty. But yeah, I think Andy Richter you know is just on his own a very funny individual who is is a great performer and and a great comedian. So I think just it just always seemed like they were just genuine friends. And it seems like how cool would it be to just have a show where you could just talk to one of your friends or your friend who's always has a funny comment that can just pipe up and say something. Right. Oh, yeah. That, sure. it, yeah, it seemed like a party. Yeah. You know, the I, I saw Andy Richter in person one time. Oh, yeah? And it was when Final Four came here and uh-huh. they did these concerts. And I went to one and he was like the host of it. And oh, wow. What happened? It's a very weird story. I mean, he mm-hmm. walked out on stage. This girl flashed him, and then he was like, "You need to have self-respect," and walked off the stage. <laughs> wow. Yep. That's pretty awesome. But also, that poor girl was like, "Oh man." Yeah, for real. I mean, like you, you go, <laughs> you go back. You're telling all your friends at school. You're like, "Yeah, I flashed Andy Richter," and they're all like, "Oh, you're so badass." <laughs> yeah. And she's like, "No, I was shamed for well, it." No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this was supposed to be a fail-proof effort. Showing right. your boobs is always supposed to be well received. <laughs> and it wasn't. And it was so weird too because it wasn't. She did it, and I was like, "Oh yeah, he's gonna make a joke." And then he like got upset, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> you know, like maybe he had like just gotten off the phone with his daughter or something." Right. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he has one. <laughs> I would not get upset if that happened to me. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but it was very probably strange. fine. But I, look, <laughs> I, I I got to see him get upset. So yeah, plus that's pretty cool. So <laughs> tell me, tell me about John Stewart's show because I didn't know he had one on MTV. So there's so he had the show, and I know that there were sketches, but I don't remember the sketches very much. I just remember that it was him. Um, and he, he, it was like a chair, and then he wasn't sitting at a desk. It was just sort of like a couple people around a coffee table, but instead of a coffee table, it was a small foosball table. Not foosball, air hockey. And I thought that was, like, the coolest. Um, so it was a lot of, uh, he'd have a lot of different people on, celebrities and stuff, and it always just seemed, especially when, and, and I think it was the same, you know, later on The Daily Show, when he had someone on that he knew that was a friend of his, it was, always really funny and really enjoyable to watch that conversation because it didn't feel as much as like a talk show as it did like that you were spying on a conversation between a couple of friends (laughs) that happened to be really funny. Mm. I don't know how many episodes it had. I mean, I don't think it was very much. I just remember it was like, I got a TV in my bedroom when I was a senior or not a senior. I got a TV in my bedroom in high school. And that's, that was like a show that I was definitely obsessed with watching because he was such a charming young comedian. So he did, and obviously this is before the Daily Show. But he, yeah, it it was like it was like a talk show where, like you said, they yeah. did sketches and bits, and then mm-hmm. yes, and then he talked, yeah, um, yeah. So the really the things I remember the the interviews of just the the 
the very casual feeling interviews. So when you're watching, and now knowing him, oh sorry. Oh oh, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, you know, now having seen him for so many years on the Daily Show, I realize now that he was probably very nervous doing all those interviews. You know, when he, you know, now now that he's such a seasoned performer and he's mm-hmm. so self-deprecating about how he used to be, but at that time, I thought he was just genius. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think mm-hmm. that genius definitely carried over into the Daily Show. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he really got to flourish. But what I was going to ask you is I was going to say when you watch these late night shows, were you watching them for the sketches and for the bits or for the monologues or for the interviews? I think it depends on the show. I I think Conan I wasn't watching as much for interviews. Jon Stewart I really liked for interviews and Letterman I liked for interviews. Um, Conan I just really liked the absurdity. I really like that. I really like weird, bizarre humor like that. <laughs> um, so it was something that was really, really different. I think, you know, Letterman was different. And then Conan was like a younger and even more different kind of thing. So I, I, I liked them both, but I liked them for different reasons. And I think, you know, Letterman got fancier guests that I probably knew more. And, you know, I, I'm sure all of my heartthrobs from my young teen years <laughs> probably were on Letterman, and that's probably why I wanted to watch that partially. But uh, Conan was just so funny. And um, and like I said, like it wasn't, you know, I was probably going to sleep at like 1 o'clock, so I didn't get to see all of it, but I would watch as much of it as I could. You know, you're the very first comedian I've talked to that said they watched it for the interviews. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I yeah, I really like... Um, I really, I, I really am inspired by that kind of thing. I have a lot of anxiety uh, in general. So uh, sometimes for me, performing in front of a group, uh, in front of an audience, especially if I can see them all, makes me a little nervous. But I love the idea of being able to have, you know, when I get an audience member or something like that on stage, and I can just sort of talk to that person and look at that person, it's, it's much more comfortable for me. And I, I like connecting with people one-on-one. So I think that's probably where I learned that. So with with that anxiety, and you said you'd like, you know, you prefer talking to people one-on-one, when it comes to improv scenes and just performing mm-hmm. maybe in plays or in musicals, do you prefer scenes that's just the one-on-one interaction as opposed to a group? I mean, no, not necessarily. If it's all performers, it's fine. Um, it's, uh, I actually, I don't love being on stage by myself. I'm trying to get better at it, <laughs> but um I think either scene can be good. I think a lot of times it's hard to have a scene, a really great scene, if there's a whole lot of people in it. But, you know, depending on what the show is called for, you know, if you're watching a play, you want some big showstopper, you want a lot of people and you want it to look big. Uh, so I guess it just depends on what the scene is. But I'm, I, I'm actually usually pretty comfortable performing as long as I'm in, as long as I, I'm just perform. I'm comfortable performing more so than talking to the audience, say. Gotcha. Okay. So when, when they give you a suggestion and when you can, you know, become a role, take on a character, then it's easier to do rather yeah. than playing yourself. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'd much rather play like an old broken down sailor <laughs> than myself. <laughs> that was oddly specific of what. <laughs> or, you know, also a beautiful princess, <laughs> whichever. Yeah. There you go, because, you know, you could have just said, I prefer being some fantasy character, but you... (laughs) (laughs) Broken down, end of his rope, end of the guy, yeah. (laughs) So, when when it comes to these late-night shows that we're talking about, Letterman, uh, Conan, and Jon Stewart, how did they influence your comedy growing up? Oh, that's interesting. Um, Well, I think it sounds really odd, but I feel like the thing with David Letterman that probably most influenced me was the top 10 lists. You know, it was just like, here's this way to write a joke. And it's, you know, it's, it's the idea of you're making a joke and you're making several punchlines and then a final punchline that encompasses all the other punchlines. I just think that's brilliant. I just think it's a brilliant format that they did so well. And I'm sure it's because it took them a long time to you know, they did so many. Um, but I, I think that had a big influence on me, just of, like, joke structure. 
in terms of that. And then, you know, Conan was, like I said, I really like sort of absurd comedy, and I think he does it so well. Um, and, and, you know, and another thing I liked about Conan is that he was always very honest when things didn't work out right. <laughs> and he was willing to sort of be vulnerable with the audience with, that I really liked, uh, you know, because improv, obviously so much of it is failing or risking failure. So uh, it's really nice to feel like you can sort of see that somebody has been honest with the audience. And if it doesn't work out perfectly, it's okay to make a joke about it and keep going. So that I definitely learned from him, some sort of self-deprecation, but also they also, you know, he, he did such smart comedy that seemed so dumb. And I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I think it's interesting that you talk about Conan, you know, acknowledging his failure, especially when it comes to improv, because David Letterman did that as well. Um, yeah, that's true. With his stuff, too. And so you really have that overlap of these comedians acknowledging, you mm-hmm. know, all right, here comes mm-hmm. the same punchline or here comes whatever. <laughs> right. And that's the same right. for improv. Like you said, acknowledging yeah. your failure. Mm-hmm. You have to acknowledge it and move on. Um, like, you know, one of the things we tell people when we teach improv is, you know, if you're not risking failure, you're not risking success. And I feel like these guys really you swung for the fences. They had a big network They behind them. They did it and they tried it and they would, they kept pushing themselves and trying to do something different. And if it didn't work, it didn't work and it was okay. <laughs> and they'd try right. again. Right. They, they weren't afraid yeah. to take those big risks. Right. I mean, that was the fun of things being live too. Or I guess they weren't live, but you know, they would live in front of an audience. So they would share that information and share those things that were happening <laughs> that they wouldn't be able to hide. So yeah, I really like that. So now to talk a little bit about you and just your life, your career, what was the moment growing up where you realized, oh, yeah, like, I'm pretty funny? <laughs> um, well, you know, I was a funny kid, and I, I don't know. I remember in high school I really was wanted to be in theater. I was part of a youth theater group that I really – did not feel like I fit in very well with for a while. Uh, I, I had gotten interested. Okay, let me back up. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I got interested in theater when I was in middle school, and um, I lived overseas in France and went to an American school. And this American school had a really good theater program. And my sister was in the high school, and she's a few years older than me. And I was really um, she did a lot of theater, and I was really impressed with her, and I wanted to do it too. And I found that I was co- kind of natural at the funny parts. We would do some improv games and things like that to warm up, and that was always the part that I liked the best. Um, and then, so then I moved. We moved back to Kentucky, and I joined a, a youth theater group that I just, that, like I said, I didn't really like it, didn't really fit in. So I ended up starting a theater company, or not a theater company, a um, a theater club at my high school. And that went pretty well, and I actually got to do a sketch show with a, some friends. Or we did, a, like, a small sketch performance that was really, really fun. And um, I think that was the moment when I was like, I could do this, you know. This is really great. Um, yeah, I think that was at probably high school and writing those sketches. And then I went off to college. And in my freshman year, I was at a small college in upstate New York, and I was in like an intro to theater class and we had to write, we were split into groups of I think six students or something. And we had to write a small play, like, you know, something that's five, 10 minutes and perform it. And my, uh, the, uh, the other three groups all did very serious show, like play small plays about AIDS. It was a big topic at the time, I guess. And um, ours was the one that I did with my group. We had written like a comedy fairy tale and it was so fun, but it was so not as well received. <laughs> by the other students who had done really serious, heart-wrenching drama. So um, I ended up not staying at that school. <laughs> but uh, but that was another moment when I was like, this is really fun, and I really like making comedy. I really like working with other people and making comedy. So you didn't really care. I mean, when referencing your youth theater group where you felt like you didn't fit in and talking about your mm-hmm. college experience, you didn't feel like you fit in. Did you just mm-hmm. feel that, like, your your skill level when it comes to comedy and when it comes to just being creative was above everyone else's. And I don't, I, I know that 
could sound like you're bragging if you say yes. But... No, I, <laughs> no, I, I, no, that's a fair question. I don't think that my comedy skills were better, but I think that that was just where my interests were. And I, for me, the sort of theater, the places that I was going to try to do theater, I really always liked accessible, fun, cool theater that made you feel good. Or, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to make you feel good, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. And uh, so that's kind of how I felt like I felt like I was just didn't find the right fit for myself, basically. Um, and I ended up leaving theater altogether and working as a geologist <laughs> for a few years and then oh. ended up taking classes at dad. Yeah. It was very weird. <laughs> it's a weird, it's a weird journey. Um, yeah, I got, I decided I didn't really like theater. I didn't really like what I was learning and, you know, doing cause it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I ended up switching majors to geology, which is an odd mix, but, um, so I was working in an asbestos lab, and my I had I had heard from some friends that this place called Dad's Garage was really funny. I'd never been, and I told my sister about it, who at that point lived in uh, New York, and she sent me a check for my birthday to take classes at Dad's. So I so that's what I did. So I took a class there, and that was sort of like where my comedy passion got reignited. Were were you? And I never left. Were, were you the funniest geologist? <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. I was probably the funny. I think I was the funniest person working with asbestos at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know personally. Like currently at school, I take classes. Well, I have to take a science class, and it's a geography class, and it's through the geology uh, department. And um, oh, uh -huh. uh, yeah, I just can't imagine them making a lot of jokes <laughs> yeah it wasn't it's not a comedy it's not a comedy career um but you know it paid it paid the bills and it kept me interested and you know luckily luckily it wasn't fulfilling enough so i could come back to comedy but i feel like you know part of me for a while was just sort of going like okay this thing isn't for me i thought maybe it was for me this isn't what i'm supposed to do and i was wrong i should have just kept with it but um you know, it's about finding the place and finding people who are sort of like-minded with you. And I think that's one of the reasons why I really love dads is because, you know, from when I started, they referenced themselves as the, the gateway drug to theater, which I really like. And I always thought that was the kind of thing that I wanted to do. I don't, you know, we're not, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to say we're like drugs, but I want to, you know, but I, I like the idea of not necessarily being accessible, but just not being the same right yeah So when you first started taking classes with dad's garage uh who who was your first teacher and what just what what made you love it so much uh my first teacher was renee delafont okay who is now the art yeah artistic director at highwire comedies he's a great 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 improviser and a really great teacher and coach and um yeah i really i think what i was you know, surprised at was how much I uh, didn't know. And I think that's the thing that brought, like, it made me want to come back was, here are these people talking about this thing that I've been wanting to talk about my whole life, and they're talking about it, and I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> so uh, it was really fun. You know, it was just so much fun. And it wasn't, and it was using a different part of my brain um, that was had been dormant for a few years. And uh yeah, I was just fascinated by the challenge. I thought it was really challenging, but I thought this is something that I feel like I can actually work towards and do, um, which was different. And I went and saw, I saw a show there um, after I had started classes, and I realized how good they were, uh, and I wanted to be that good. So what did you do besides just taking the classes in order to get better? Um, well, so... I took, at that time, there were only two levels at Dad's. Um, so I took two levels there, and then I took a class with Tommy Futch. And then I took a class, an, another class with Matt Stanton, who is, is and was at Dad's, but he also taught a class through another theater. So I did as many classes as I could, and I watched as many shows as I could. Um, and one, then one of the things I learned how to do, I, I worked all over the theater, so I started, you know, I worked in the box office, and I worked in the bar, and I volunteered. and I did all those things just to sort of be around as much as I could, and I became a technical improviser. So I did the lights and the sound for improv shows. And that was really, I think, my 
best tool because a I watched hundreds of shows. <laughs> I and I also learned a lot about timing, uh, just because I would you know see when I thought I should pull the lights down on a scene and then see when the improvisers would actually wave it down and, you know, those kinds of things. Um, so I think just watching a lot and then doing it a lot and not being very good at it, <laughs> um, those are the ways to do it. You know, it's one of those things where it's like you can't be good at something until you're bad at it first. So that was bad you, for a while. <laughs> would you say that when you start, like, would you say you were bad when you started? Because I feel like when you came in that you were probably pretty good at it. No, I was pretty bad. I mean, I think, you know, the thing was for me was, uh, and I feel like when I see younger improvisers, usually I think there's, I, I had a hard time listening. I had a hard time really listening to what people were saying without going inside my head and thinking, what do I do next? And now what do I do? And, you know, I, I had also had a really hard time with confidence and sort of making bold choices, which I think are important things in improv also. But again, that's part of me with personally just my anxiety was I, I was so scared about making a wrong choice that I would just not make a choice when really it was like any bold choice you make is fine. Just do it. So what was the turning point for you where you realized like, OK, this is clicking like I get it now? Ah, oh, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> um, I think it was, I don't, I don't know what the exact point was, but I do know we did a show um, probably 12 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, called Invasion Our Town. And it was Thornton Wilder's Our Town. We rehearsed that play and learned that play. And then have, um, then we'd start the show five minutes in an improviser would show up and we wouldn't know who it would be who it was going to be what what, what uh, actor or what character they were playing we wouldn't know so then we sort of had to keep struggling to tell this story with this new character that does not belong in that universe or might belong in the universe but isn't an actual character um and so that for me was such a real that was a really growing experience where you know i it was kind of i was always really surprised when people weren't giving me a lot of notes after every show <laughs> Um, so I think that was the point when I was like, yeah, this is it. This is it. This is the, this is the thing I really like doing. Um, but I mean, honestly, it's only been like, it was just a couple years ago that I was like, oh, you know what? I think I'm pretty good at this. And I've been doing it for, you know, 12 years, 12, 15 years. <laughs> so it took me, it took me a long time to really go, oh, okay. I do know what I'm doing. So what what was the first thing that you did at Dad's Garage? Like when you became when you when you weren't just student, when you weren't just box office person anymore, what was the first big thing you did? Uh, I remember I got to guest on Scandal, which is our soap opera series. Mm -hmm. And Scandal is a different um it's in a different setting every time we do it. So the first show that I actually ever saw at Dad's was um, a, an episode of Fantasy Scandal, which was really like, and it was the last episode, so I had no idea what was going on, but it was really magical. Um, and then, so this one, this particular time, the the theme was Moonbase, and I got to guest star. It was my first time guesting on uh, on Scandal, and I played a, an old man, an old broken down sailor. Yeah. Not really, just. <laughs> I played kind of an old man, and Amber Nash was playing and this old weird lady, and so I came on as her old like man dance partner. Um, she was always she was always very generous. A lot of the people at Dad's were always very generous and like sort of saying like, "Why don't you come on and do this sort of character that's similar to what I'm doing, and I'll help you through it." Um, so Amber was really helpful for me with that kind of thing. So I came on as this old man, and Amber and I kind of she knew I was going to be there, and we kind of talked about what we were going to do in our scene. And then I did a scene with another character um, who just, like, shut me down and steamrolled me because I could not, I did not know how to, like, stand up for myself and sort of make my offers count. And I was so overwhelmed. But it was hilarious. And it was a great, great, great lesson. But it was, it was fun. It was really fun. And I got to dress up and feel weird. And it was awesome. So from there, that's your improv career. But how are mm -hmm. you also a writer and a director? Oh, um, well, so, so I, I worked as a copywriter for a while. Um, 
I guess I've always written, tried to write a little bit of sketches and things like that. And I worked as a copywriter for a while, and that sort of gave me more confidence as a writer, just writing constantly. And I had I had developed a an improv format with a few women at Dad's, Amber Nash, uh, Eve Kruger, and Linnea Fry, and the the, the last two are now in Chicago. Uh, we created this idea of uh, a lifetime original movie as a play, like a, like a, as, as an improv format, and then we decided to make it into a play. And that was sort of the first big play I've written, I guess. Um, and it was four of us writing, so it was a it was a very much a team effort. Um, so yeah, that was the first show I had worked on, and I'd written sketches sort of throughout. Sometimes they were picked up for something, and sometimes they weren't. Um, and then uh, last year, I last year, I think it was last year, um, I we did a show at Dad's called uh, Woman of the Year, which was something I had pitched as an idea of sort of getting more women at Dad's to write. We have. When I started at Dad's, there were not very many women there, and now we have much, many more, many more women, and it's and it's much more equal. But still, most of the shows are written by, or or male or uh, by men, or um, either shows that we write in in house or shows that we get are are often written by men. So um, that ended up being this great show that was a really great experience for me in terms of sort of curating sketches. I wrote several, and I also edited other people's and revised other people's sketches. So that was really interesting in terms of just a learning experience. And uh, I really felt like it, it was fun to do. And also, something that copywriting helped me learn how to do was write in different voices. So I could use some of that also and make sure. Because the, you know, the goal was not to, I didn't want to like overshadow any, any individual voice. I, so. Um, it was interesting. I also worked really hard with Linnea, who I talked about before, and Perry Frost. The three of us were the head writers on that. So we wrote a good number of the sketches and then also revised and um, edited others. And it was just it was just a really interesting, cool way to sort of learn about like sketches and the way that sketches are written in terms of structure, how to keep that structure, how to improve the structure. Um, yeah, so that was those. That, that's kind of my my. Those are my two biggest things in recent years that I can remember about writing. I'm currently writing something else for Dad, so hopefully that'll happen. <laughs> is it so? What you're writing is it a play, or is it going to be similar to like what Woman of the Year was, where it's where it's a sketch show? Um, right now, I'm, I'm writing an actual play, so that's um, it's the it's the first play that I've written entirely on my own. So it's really it's really fun. It's really fun and really challenging and really interesting because so you know I, it's so much easier to write when you have somebody to write with that you're accountable to. Not easier, but you know it's easier for us to go like, oh, I have to meet my friends and I have to bring what I'm supposed to bring, as opposed to being like, well, I should get this done today, but nobody's gonna know if I don't. <laughs> right, and I I would so. imagine when you're writing with somebody else. You know, you throw out an idea, and they go, "Well, what if we take this idea and add this to it?" And yeah. you go, "Okay, I like that." You know, it just builds and builds and builds. Yeah. When you're by yourself, and then you're bouncing ideas off yourself. Yeah, and it's that's the way, right? And that's you know, that's kind of how that's what I like about improv so much is that it's a it's really a group effort. You know, and the fun thing about it is that the stories that you tell in improv you would not tell by yourself you just stumble upon these great stories. Uh, so, and I, that's what I love about collaboration. So on my own, as I'm trying to keep that sort of feeling of like anything could happen, you know, what is, and trying to open myself up and not get too um, narrow-minded. Like I can start following one sort of character journey and try to focus all on that when really it's about the experience of being at the show. Now, when you sit down to write a sketch or maybe a play, um, what kind of structure do you follow? Like, how how do you structure it? How do you actually produce it? Um, well, you know, <laughs> it's for me. It's just I call it breaking the seal. <laughs> I just have to sit down and start writing. Um, so structure wise, you know, I like to do a lot of thought beforehand. So, like, you know, I like to think who are my main characters, who are what's the story, or at least I want to know what the beginning of the story is. Like for, in this case, I know what the end is um so or you know i know what i think the end is going to be so i'm writing towards that knowing it could change at any time and like i said trying to be 
open um, if things do change. But um, with sketches, a lot of times, you know, it's like, <laughs> I feel like sketches are, I really like writing sketches with other people or at least some of it because to me, you know, it's usually like, I've got this weird idea about this funny sort of premise or this funny punchline and then building the world around that. Um, that's really fun because I really like sort of the punchline scramble of everybody sitting around and going, how do we finish this one? You know, people throwing out jokes. I think that's always really fun. So if I came to you, like, for example, let's say mm -hmm. we're, we're writing partners, Max and Megan, mm -hmm. and, hey. and I come to you and I say, uh, hey, Megan, I have this idea, and I want to write this sketch about uh, a dog. The dog is the main character, <laughs> and he is the dog of a homeless man. He's a homeless man dog. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How, how do you take that, you, you know, <laughs> you have that idea now. How do you expand on it? What's, how, do, how does your brain work? I guess I would say, like, so what about this dog? What is funny about this dog? Like, is it that he, is it that he, the homeless guy, you know, I would just probably come, try to come up with different angles on it. So, like, is it that, you know, he's really, um, he really has a really good job and the whole, and he just can't tell his owner, the homeless dog, that he's leaving him out there so that he won't feel hurt his feelings? Or, you know, is it that um, this dog is is begging for money because he's a vet. That's not funny. That's just sad. But you know, uh, I would probably yeah. just try to riff on different ideas and angles um, to to see like what what kind of made us laugh the most or where we thought we could go with it. And there have definitely been times when I've written a sketch completely out, and you know, a lot of times this is feedback from somebody else, or I you know, or it's the feedback that I've given to somebody else is like, there's a nugget of something in here that you want to say and it's not being said. So how do you say the joke or the idea that you want to say as cleanly and simply as possible? Right. You, you wanna, can always add in jokes. Right. You yeah. Take out the, I, I guess, fluff. Yeah. Right. And see like, yeah, how streamlined can you make something? And then, you know, you can always, you can always add more, but um, yeah, I really like to see like, you know, there's some kind of truth I feel like in different scenes um, and I, so it's about finding out what that, what is that story you're trying to say? Like, if you can say what this sketch is about or what you want to say in a sentence, what is it? And then write that sketch. What's your favorite sketch that you've ever written? Oh, that I've ever written? Um, um, probably there's one that we did in Woman of the Year that I really enjoyed writing. That was, um, it was about Valentine's Day and it was, uh, in a world, it was set in a boardroom in a world that was kind of flipped. So, like, these women were, uh, three women were the big head honchos of a company. And then there was a guy who was, like, the new guy. And we all sort of sexually harassed him, which sounds terrible. But it was all, it was sort of all based in these, um, it was really actually all comments and things that I have heard and heard said about, you know, different women that I've worked with. So, um, so that was really, that was just really fun for me, too, because it was sort of like, there was a lot of filthy language and very larger than life characters. So that's kind of what, it was really fun. Um, it was really fun. <laughs> yeah. For me. Cause I got to perform in it also. <laughs> now, if that's your favorite sketch that you've written, what's your favorite sketch mm -hmm. that you've ever seen performed that wasn't written by you? Oh, oh, that's hard. Um, gosh, I don't know. Um, let's see. My favorite, I can tell you my favorite Saturday Night Live sketch. Okay. <laughs> Which is, <laughs> and then I'll, I'll, as I think about other things, <laughs> um, my favorite Saturday Night Live sketch is a sketch with Martin Short and Harry Shearer. No, wait, Martin Short and, uh, yeah, Martin Short and Harry Shearer. And they are, they are Olympic synchronized swimming, men's synchronized swimming pair, uh, which is not a sport. And Christopher Guest is playing their coach. And it was like a pre, it was a pre-filmed sketch which wasn't always very common in the early 80s but I just highly recommend it because it's about these two brothers who are trying desperately to become Olympic synchronized swimmers but one of them can't actually swim <laughs> so it's just a great it's a great sketch um, other than that I would probably say Mark Kendall who I know you've had on your show is such a brilliant uh, sketch writer and I got the I had the pleasure of directing him in a one-man show that was all different sketches that he had written so it's hard. It's hard to pick one, but I think he has a he has a sketch about Marta going up to cop being a, a Marta station being built up in Cobb County, 
so that now that they can take so now that people in Atlanta can take black crime to the suburbs. Uh, so it, he, it's just a very funny like sketch about you know this this gang leader telling his his friends that like so we're going to take the MARTA train and then we're going to like everybody has to have a breeze pass and then we're going to get up there we have to get on the number ten bus and we're going to ride it for a mile and a half and then we're going to get off and then we're going to steal a piano and we're going to go back to the bus get back you know it's just this ridiculous like absurd making fun of this idea that people are afraid of black crime. Um, and it was just such a brilliant, um, brilliant sketch. And he's so good at writing one man, one man sketches, which is very difficult, but he's, he's just a genius. So. So how did you, he, um, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, no, go ahead. <laughs> sorry. Oh, well, I was just going to ask how you basically connected with him and ended up directing his show. Oh, well, I, um, you know, Mark and I were, we worked together at Dad's as improvisers. Uh, he is, I just always thought he was very funny. Uh, and I had only directed a couple things at the time, both at Dad's. I directed a, a play called Effed Up Fairy Tales. Uh, that was a really funny fairy tales show. And I had directed Invasion Christmas Carol, <clears throat> which is similar to our, our town format, but it's Christmas Carol. Uh, I had directed that, and Mark was in that. And so I think he asked me to work with him based on that experience. Um, so I don't know. I don't know why he. I don't know why he got me to do it, but I'm really glad he did because it was wonderful. Um, but he's he's such a pleasure to work with, and um, so I think he and I work really well together. We're right. We're working on writing something together now, also. So we um, we have similar sensibilities, and he is just. I just think he's the smartest and funniest and hardest working guy in Atlanta. So is it difficult to direct a guy who wrote all of his own material? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. It, yeah, because especially because his show is about the way that black men are portrayed in media and I am not a black man <laughs> or in the media. <laughs> um so, you know, so there was a lot of stuff that was it was interesting though because it was it was like, you know, it took a little pressure off me just because it was like, I don't have to worry about the content. You know, I'm here to direct um, you as a person. But we did, you know, it's it's fun to know that, like, I that there's, like, a couple of jokes that I could add and help out with. But it was really, it's really nice to work with one person. And Mark, you know, even if he wasn't the hardest working person already, he was so hardworking because it was something that he had written and he wanted it to be so good. Um and he, so, you know, he's also really good about testing all of his stuff. So a lot of his pieces had been tested in front of audiences, which made it easier. So for me, it was a lot of stringing things together um, and making sure that, uh, you know, there's just like enough space and working on the characters and making his voice distinct and just really trying to sort of amplify his voice as much as I could. Did you direct him as well when he went to the Alliance? I, no, we got the riser. We got the Riser grant and workshopped it for a year, but then it was a different director when they had it in their season. Oh, okay. So, how what were the changes made? Um, from the, during the Riser Lab, yeah, or like during the Lab for his last show, um, it was a bit, really big change. Um, you know, originally it was sort of just a collection of pieces, and then as we worked through this lab, we worked with this woman Jessica Holt, who was um, uh, a directing fellow at the Alliance. And we really sort of, and, and with Linnea Fry again, can't say enough about Linnea Fry, she's great. Um, he restructured the whole show and sort of found, this. Was, I thought this was really interesting, sort of learned like what is the character journey if you don't have the same characters <laughs> throughout the show. Um, but it was sort of like how do we tell the story we want to tell through these sketches in in a particular order. And there was sort of a personal part added about um about Mark sort of having a breakdown during the show, which was not at all in the Dad's Garage version. Um, so that was very different. So mostly it was just a structural difference. Uh, and then, yeah, and then finding this sort of new path of, of Mark being able to speak out and say how he really feels, which was really spectacular, really made the show um, seem extra personal and vulnerable, and it was really nice. So the... Is is working with Mark Kendall the only time you've directed productions like this, or do you all do you do it often? Um, no, I've done it a few times. I did, so the first show I did was 
this effed up fairy tales, it was um uh it was four other actors from dads. And then Invasion Christmas Carol was just another show. It was that was the first time I had worked with Mark. Um but um I will be directing a show that I'm the show that I'm writing right now too. So I haven't directed a ton, but I have re- directed a few times and it's not my favorite but it's something I like to do. Well, it's funny that you say that because I was just about to ask you, out of all the things you do, uh, (laughs) performing, writing, and directing, how would you rank them? Um, It's hard. Performing and writing are both very, I I both love them both. Um, Directing, it's very, directing is very rewarding, uh, but it is stressful. (laughs) It's much easier now that I don't, I used to, the, the previous the first couple of shows I directed, I also had a nine to five job, which was very difficult to sort of manage all of that together. Um, so, uh, and then working with Mark was really great. Uh, like I said, sorry if I'm just saying nice things about others. Um, uh, so uh, I like directing, not my favorite. I would probably say at the moment, writing is my favorite and then performing. But, in, but you know, with improv, I feel like I've been doing it so long, I can sort of do that anywhere um at any time you know what i mean so that's the thing i'm most comfortable with okay and and to focus just a little bit on improv um because mm-hmm. i, I want to learn you're so good at it so i just want to ask oh, you some things you. about basically the art of improv and how you sure. how you how you do improv essentially okay so Great. for you um when you hear a suggestion where mm-hmm. where does you, where does your mind go? What do you immediately start thinking? That's a that's a good question. I usually start thinking like, um, per, like where does that what does that remind me of personally? You know, so instead of if if a suggestion, um, I don't know. Give me a suggestion. <laughs> so like if I said if they said uh, name a place that you've always wanted to travel, and I said uh, Antarctica. Okay, I would. My immediate thought was penguins. <laughs> Because okay. that's where penguins live. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's the first thing that pops in. I guess it's just the first sort of free association kind of thing, you know. Um, and, again, with improv, you know, it doesn't have to be like, what is the perfect way to use this suggestion? How can I use this suggestion right now? You know, it's just, it's about getting into it. The story isn't, the story doesn't need to be about Antarctica. That's just a jumping off point. And so I, I think, you know, definitely using that suggestion. But, what you know what we want to see is you want to see a story about somebody that you care about and what happens to them right that's it's got to be something funny and so you know that my first instinct is just like okay we're going to see a family of penguins that's it i mean you know and so that that's where my mind goes it's funny because when you said penguins my Mm -hmm. like the thought that i had was there's one penguin left in the world and and people are trying (laughs) to find it oh yeah that's great so, but once again, That's I mean, awesome. this goes back to to what you were discussing a little bit earlier, where it, you're when you write with somebody else and the ideas just build. Yeah, I think it's you know, I mean, it's so cheesy, but yes, and is the thing to do, um, especially when you're writing, when you have all that freedom and you're not doing it in front of the audience, you can go, you know, take go as far as you can as you can. Um, it's that can make things difficult, but. You know, I mean, wh- why not just say yes to every idea so that you can find something that you wouldn't have found originally? And it's really easy to just turn down ideas if we don't know where they're going to go. But if we let ourselves sort of try to figure that out then, um, and we're open to it, then amazing stuff can happen. And also, you know, it's just sort of also about not filtering yourself as much. We all filter and get nervous about saying the wrong thing and wanting to make this joke the best joke or, you know, wanting to wanting to make sure that this sketch is the funniest, but the idea is just to get it as good as you can. And you're going to have some bad drafts too before you get to the good ones, you know? Does that no, make sense? Sure. Sorry. I sort of. Okay. No, for sure. I, I completely agree. It made me think of uh, a personal story when I, so I took all four levels of classes at dad's garage. Um, okay. And for my level four class, we had a graduation show. And the one mm-hmm. thing, that I was told before the show, it was actually by my dad, um, right before mm-hmm. it went on stage, is he just said, fast, filterless, and funny. That's what he said. Oh, that's great. And I was that's like, great. 
exactly yeah like it hit so like it hit me so well and so that i I don't really have the opportunities to do improv that much anymore because i was mostly Mm -hmm. doing it through my classes at dad's um but i think it you know that's a great definition of improv personally that i feel you know you get up there yeah fast you like you said be filterless don't think just go 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 and then be funny Yeah. yeah And the fun, you know, and it's all those things that sort of end up happening without you realizing it. That's so great, you know. Like you're, you're as long as you're being fast and filterless and funny, you know, your friends will help you out, um, uh, and 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 add the other half of the equation. You know, I love the moments when you, you know, you see somebody say something in a scene that is funny, and then the next person tops it, and you can see the first person didn't even think of it, but is so delighted. Mm-hmm. You know, I I I love that. I love. I love when my when I'm in scenes and my friends say something that is so funny and I can't imagine ever coming up with it and it makes me laugh. I'm pretty. I can sometimes I laugh on stage. It's terrible, but it's you know because I have really fast, funny, filterless friends. Exactly. Feel free to take that phrase and use it as much as you want. Oh my my, uh, I'm my d- already getting the tattoo. And my, I, I was about to say my dad didn't trademark it, so really it's up for grabs <laughs> here. All right. Check out fastfilterlessandfunny.com. <laughs> <laughs> Got it on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, making a million dollars. That's really great. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing, too, is the you know, we worry so much about being funny that we keep that filter up. So let the filter down. Let your friends take care of you and take care of your friends, and it'll work out. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So- yeah. What do you do when you're up there on the stage? You know, the night's going well. You're having great, mm-hmm. great scenes. And you get to this mm-hmm. one scene and it just mm-hmm. bombs. Yes. What do you do? I am familiar. Have you been to all of my shows? <laughs> um, I, uh, <laughs> um, you know, you move on. You hopefully pull a Conan and say to the audience, you know, <laughs> we tried that, but it didn't work. And now we'll do something else, you know. And, and, you know, at that point, especially if you've been, if you've been having a great show, the audience is with you and they're not upset, you know, they're not upset. They're not there to hurt you. They want to see you succeed. So if you fail and you go, okay, well, that was terrible. And now let's move on. Again, it's part of it, you know, and that's also, you know, in some ways it can be helpful because the audience can see you're really making this up because you wouldn't intentionally fail, (laughs) you know, um, so I think it's okay. It's it's a, it's going to happen. It's always going to happen. There's always going to be scenes that don't go as great. And you know, the worst thing to do is to focus on that and think about that and how, you know, if we just had that one perfect scene, we would have had a perfect show. When really you had a great show. It's a one, you know, a shitty scene. One shitty scene in a show is not a bad show. <laughs> right. And I feel like yeah. as as an audience member, you don't leave the show going, "Oh, remember that one scene where they did bad?" No, you're talking about the good. Yeah. Right. I met one person once, uh, you know, and this is probably also based on who I spend most of my time with, but I met a person once who he said, you know, oh, I don't like improv because I just feel so bad for them when it doesn't go well. And I thought, well, that sucks because you're missing out on all the times when it goes great that it's so rewarding. Absolutely. So, again, it's just that risking risking failure um, to risk success. Exactly. And you got to be okay yeah. with knowing when you get up on that stage, there's a chance, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it could go south, but you know. But then the great thing about improv is when you can go just by using the simple rules that you know. And if you're a good improviser, you can go anywhere and get on stage with somebody that you don't know and still have a good show. If you're willing to just trust other people and be fast, fast, filterless, and funny. Exactly. I'm really feeling that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Funny.com. I I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now I have to ask you this uh, because I. I know, I, well, I think I know my answer, but I want to know your answer to this. Uh, if you could do improv with one person, any person in the entire world, living or dead, will open this up. Ooh. Who would it be? Oh, my God. Cleopatra. Just kidding. Um, man, who, well, let me, what's your answer? Uh, okay. Well, personally, and I know it's <laughs> probably everybody says this answer, but I think it would be Will Ferrell. Just because oh. I think like when it when it comes to comedy, when it comes to humor, mm-hmm. I am really impressed by and I really admire people who go a hundred percent, who give it yeah. absolutely their all. 
Um, and he mm-hmm. does that. I mean, if you look at his work, he will in a heartbeat strip naked. If it, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for man, me, that's a good. That's a really good answer. For me, I just I, admire that so much. So it yeah. Would be- I would probably think somebody like maybe Tina Fey. I feel like that's probably what a lot of ladies say. Tina Fey or Amy Poehler or somebody. Like, I want to perform with somebody that's very competent and plays to the top of their intelligence. And also, like, I know, I'm confident that they know what they're doing. Yeah. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. 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 I, 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 uh, I approve of your answer. Thank you. Yeah, I just feel like I want somebody who... Um, kind of, I think, you know, they're both kind of similar, but they're just... Um, just very smart. I think Amy Poehler is probably a little more in that Will Ferrell uh, category of taking it balls to the wall, but um, but you know, Tina Fey is very smart and very funny. So I don't know. It's that's a that's a hard question, but I feel like those are a couple ladies. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm as soon as we hang up, I'm going to be like, oh, I know who it is, but I don't at the moment. <laughs> okay. Well, look, if if you think of that, you can send me a message, and I'll put it in your bio. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to rack my brain. This is going to keep me up all night. Well, Just kidding. What, what do you have in plan? What are, what are, what's in store for you, Megan? What are you, what's upcoming for you? What's next for me? Um, well, I'm going to Vancouver in a couple weeks to take part in the Vancouver International Improv Festival. So I'm really excited about that. It will be, um, I'm part of the international ensembles, which means I, I, I'm going as an individual with the, several other individuals and we'll workshop together and perform. Um, but I'm working on a show for Dad's Garage and writing it and we'll hopefully be directing it called Bad Bitches. And um, that's, and, and other than that, I'm just improvising. I'm always at Dad's. I'm always at Dad's. Most weekends. So. <laughs> and if people want to, you know, keep up with what you're doing or find, find out where you're performing, do you have a website ah. or someplace they can find out? <laughs> no. No. I have a, I sometimes put it on Twitter, but not usually. Okay. Um, well, well, then what's your Twitter handle? It is Megan K. Leahy. No, it's Panda Megan. Oh. <laughs> I don't even know. This is great. I'm a great at self-promoting. <laughs> Panda Megan, that's my Twitter handle. So, like, a, like an animal, yeah. Wait, so Megan K. Leahy, what, what was that? What do you... <laughs> that is my Instagram. Okay. Which I'm not even less because I had Panda Megan as a Twitter handle, and then some other Megan, probably another Megan Leahy, took Panda Megan on Instagram. So I was like, well, all right. So I'm, you know, very. I'm all over social media, as you can tell. Probably that I really Megan, got a firm grasp on it. <laughs> Megan Leahy in Australia, who's like, yeah, getting her back. <laughs> yeah, she's like, who is this? <laughs> and I, I, uh, she thought I stole her job. This is the this is the final question of the show, but I I ask it to every single guest, and I get a lot of great answers, so I'm excited for what you mm-hmm. have to say. Not to give you high, I don't want to raise the bar just to <laughs> so freak much you pressure. out. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but my question for you is: if you were to give one piece of advice to someone who either wants to be in your shoes or a piece of advice that you would give your uh, younger self. Would just be to believe in yourself and like you know <clears throat> just it's okay if you're not great when you're starting out at something keep on with it maybe after 10 years if you're still not very good maybe then give it up but if there's something you're good at and there's something you want to do try to do it even if it can't be full-time uh just keep working at it i like that you're gonna suck a lot before you get good yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i'll put yeah. i'll put in your bio i'll say you know just keep trying until you've tried for 10 years, then give up. <laughs> yeah, perfect. There's a limit on dreams. <laughs> that, that limit is 10 years. <laughs> 10 years. It's been scientifically proven. You can't yeah. do something in 10 years. Okay. You've been wasting your life. Clock starts now. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And go. <laughs> well, Megan, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You are a delight. Oh, and I really you. enjoyed talking to you. And I, I feel like I've I've learned so much from you just about improv and your career. And I I can't oh, wait for your play to, you know, be oh, thank pro- you. out because I will definitely promote it and I will definitely come see it myself. Oh, you're awesome. Thank you so much, Max.
And for anybody listening, if you would like to listen to more episodes of my show, Talking Late Night, you can visit us at www.talkinglatenight.com, as well as our Facebook page at Talking Late Night, and you can find us on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.